0: So Money Episode 526, Amanda Klute, Editor-in-Chief of Eater.
1: You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry,
0: you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome
1: to So Money.
0: Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm your host, Farnish Tarabi. Thank you for joining me, as always. Uh, how many of you out there consider yourself foodies? This wasn't even a word as of like 10 years ago, but if you are a foodie, as in somebody who is very picky and selective about what goes in their bodies, you like to go out to eat, you're very selective about your dining experience, You're going to love today's guest because she is the editor-in-chief of Eater, no less. Eater is one of the most incredible sites when it comes to learning about food and dining out and the industry. What I really wanted to learn from Amanda, other than, of course, the the behind-the-scenes at Eater, is how to reverse-engineer your career because that is sort of what she has done. You know, she was working at a small paper at some point in her early 20s, realized I want the top job at Eater and went after it and got it. And so there is some strategy to this and I have her walk us through it because if you're someone who's sitting here thinking someday I wanna do this, I'd love to accomplish that, I'd love to run my own magazine, you know what? You wanna keep listening because she has some great, great insights. And what I wasn't even expecting to learn from her, how to ask for a raise when you have a new boss, you know, we've talked a lot about races on the show, but what if you have a new boss, a new manager, they've just met you and it was just bad timing because you were about to ask your old boss for more money and now you've got a new boss. Oh, you have to start over? Not necessarily. She did it. So she shares her firsthand experience. Plus, Amanda's on the receiving end often of her employees asking her for a raise, So what does she like to hear and what does she absolutely not like to hear? She gives us the details. And then finally, of course, couldn't let Amanda go without having her share how to save when dining out. A little bit more about Amanda. The New York Daily News calls her one of the 50 most powerful women in New York. And since becoming the site's editor-in-chief, Amanda has expanded Eater's reviews, its investigative journalism, and even targeted topics like, why aren't there more women in the restaurant business? Amanda is also responsible for helping the website score four James Beard Awards, the highest distinction in food journalism. Here is Amanda Klute. Amanda Klute, welcome to So Money. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Thank you so much for having me. I can't wait to dive into your journey, climbing the ranks to become the editor-in-chief of Eater. And you actually started at Metro. I had a, uh, years ago worked at AM New York, kind of the rival. Yeah, um, yep. But f- honestly, such great grounds for learning the city, reporting to a mass audience. So I can see how that was in some ways fruitful grounds to uh, later become now the editor-in-chief of a very popular food and dining and really a lot of more things too, uh, e- website. Like I feel like Eater is not just about food, it's about life.
1: It is. It's about everything. And especially nowadays when food is everything, food is culture. Um, People, they don't just go out to the movies anymore and pick up a snack before like food is the main event. Um, So it really touches all parts of everyone's lives. Yes.
0: We'll get into that in just a moment. I want to first tell you that you're, I feel like you're sort of my spirit, not junkie, spirit. um, (laughs) Help me out here. I'm excited to find out what Um, it's worth. She's my spirit. Spirit (laughs) <laughs> spirit animal, thank you. Yeah, oh my gosh, right. the word escaped me. Spirit animal, I feel like you're my spirit animal because I was going on Eater and stalking you, and there was an article you wrote earlier in 2016 about how to conceal your pregnancy at bars and restaurants. Oh yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, did you recently have a child? I did. My son is 9 months now. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. I'm currently in my second pregnancy and um I, I've been there, like how to conceal your pregnancy at bars and restaurants, especially when you're in the first trimester and you're not telling people necessarily. I had, what happened to me was, um, we were at Thanksgiving. Um, this is my first pregnancy and Mm -hmm. we went out, everyone's like, let's go out after dinner. Let's go get a drink at a bar. Oh, great. Sure. And it was me, my husband, my brother and his friends. My brother didn't know that I was pregnant. So I kind of pushed my husband to the side and I said, you know, I'm going to order like a vodka tonic, but just then go and change my order to just like a Sprite or something, something clear, like you recommend in your article. Yeah, yeah. That's a great way to disguise that you're not drinking something alcoholic. So we did that, but I ended up pounding like three watt, like tonic and limes.
1: <laughs> within yep. like Yeah. You drink it so fast. In like 30 uh, minutes. So like. Basic.
0: I became. Everyone was like looking at me, like, "What the hell?" Like, Farnoosh is drunk, you know. She's and I drove everybody there, so they immediately took the keys away from me. I'm like, "I'm fine." My brother's like, "You've had three vodka tonics." in 30 minutes. I don't know what's going on in your life, but you're not oh, driving us home. Such <laughs> like, a well, funny backfire. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I wasn't considered pregnant, but I was considered a drunkard. <laughs> hey, I'll That's take fine. it. That's so, fine. Two months later, everybody was happy for me. That's
1: great. Um.
0: So it's, so my point, too, is like Eater like these are the kinds of stories you could find on Eater. It's not just about the hottest new restaurant, which of course you guys do religiously report on, but also the um the, like the the lifestyle aspects of what it means to go out and and be social and I think I totally agree with you that when you go out to eat now, you're willing to put down a lot of money for the for the meal because you're going to spend two maybe 3 hours there. Um, I was just interviewing somebody from France who's like we don't go to eat out to eat for the food, we go there to share a meal with a friend. It's like this whole Mm -hmm. other mindset. And you see that shift happening here.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's like, it's, I know at least for, for my friends that it is the, the social activity now. And it's great because if you do go to a musical performance or a movie, you don't really get to talk to your friends. So if the dinner is the main event, it's great because you get to share and you get to eat. Yes.
0: So tell us about your journey. I know that you started a local paper or rather a small paper, did you? At what point did you realize you wanted to be the editor in chief of Eater? And when you discovered that about yourself, what changed?
1: Well, I um, yeah, I, I worked at Metro, which was you know a local paper in New York, and then I moved on to do some travel writing for Gawker's travel site, Grid Skipper. and I went over to Eater because I was a fan. I was super obsessed with the restaurant industry and reading about it, um, and I didn't really have big ambitions beyond I just want to work at this place. And uh, what was great about you know, it was serendipitous in that the site really grew with me. So every few years we got bigger and bigger and my roles got bigger and bigger. So a few years in, I I got promoted to oversee a bunch of the Eater City sites that we had launched across the country. And then a few years after that, I got promoted to be the editor-in-chief as we added in all of these new departments like long form features, video, social strategy. So now I get to oversee. Um, kind of an empire of eater sites and a a huge group of people. um, And it just grew organically. So I think it was great as a, as a, you know, I think my third job that I've been able to stick with it for almost a decade.
0: And I also read that you took a food writing course to improve your skills because like you said you were writing about travel Mm -hmm. and you wanted to make this transition. So you did make some conscious moves to be able to position yourself for the ultimate role.
1: Absolutely. And I think it helped me when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. It helped me realize that like, oh, this is a thing I like. So I, I took a class. I liked what I saw. I liked what I was working on. Um, I think the class also helped me meet other people who were interested in the same things and meet other people who were already accomplished because a lot of times classes like that are taught by people who are already employed in the industry you're trying to get into. Um, so I think it was, it was inspiring for me to, to be in that environment.
0: And so when you're at a magazine, or in this case, um, a news site, where your ambition is to be the head honcho, to run the show, at what point do you make that apparent? And at what point do you feel like you're now being groomed for the position? Um, Because that has to be like other people have to recognize that in in order to support you to do that.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with asking for it and making sure you're as blatant as possible um, like with with me it was a startup so there's not there wasn't a, a big corporate bureaucracy happening uh, when I first got promoted so there wasn't I don't think my boss was thinking a lot about my future or the future of all the employees. He was thinking about how do I keep this business afloat? So it very much was up to me to go to him and say, hey, the sites are growing a lot. They need more leadership. I should be the person to do it and lay out my case for him. And I think people need to be told. And I think that as a boss, too, like I'm not a mind reader. People need to come to me and say, hey, I'm ready to be a leader. Here's where I think I should be in the next six months or next year.
0: And so when you laid out your
1: plans, what did that look like? Well, the first time I got promoted to oversee a bunch of the eater sites, uh, my boss wasn't ready. Uh, They didn't have either the, I think, the funding or the inclination to really move someone into that role. It was a role I had made up. (laughs) Basically, it was we had a dozen sites all working on their own and no one really leading the ship. Uh, So I started looking around at other opportunities and I ended up getting a job offer somewhere else. And I told him about it and I was ready to leave. It wasn't like some big plan to get him to cave. But when he saw that I was leaving, he, um, he counter with the job I had made up before. Yes, things got real all of a sudden. <laughs> yes, you know, and I, I think that's a good lesson to people who are who are starting out. Like, if you are going to try to get a counter-offer by getting another job, you have to be ready to leave. Like, it, you can't bluff that. Like, I was definitely ready to go, and then he had a better position for me.
0: So how does it work when you're writing about food? Do you get to go to all sorts of restaurants for free? I mean, I guess that's not really... You don't really do that because you want to have like an authentic
1: experience. Well, when I, one of my jobs when I first started was um, running the New York site. And my day in, day out was writing about new restaurants that were opening. So whenever there's a restaurant opening, there might be a friends and family dinner where you get to go um, or a press preview. But other than that, we were still paying for everything. And definitely in the early days, we didn't have expense accounts. So it's it's not as glamorous as it sounds. Uh, but there, there are a lot of industry parties. So I think if you really want to get a free cocktail, there's... <laughs> That there's enough going on, but I think that's the same in a lot of industries. That's, that's really all I just
0: want to learn from you is like, how do yeah. I get free meals? Um, <laughs> how do I get the free food? <laughs> What's on your checklist when you're reviewing restaurants? I'm always curious to know. I mean, I, I like reading restaurant reviews. Um, I like to go out. Now it's not as possible with one mm-hmm. and the baby on the way. But, yep. you know, I think... Um, I like to live vicariously through food bloggers sometimes. What is on your particular list, things that you like to see, what you're, what you're eyeing and tasting and, and, and really looking for when you review restaurants?
1: um well for my for my role I'm not like writing full on restaurant reviews like I would always write about when restaurants are are opening and what's going on in them, so it's a little more objective like this is what's on the menu this is what the space looks like, and then we have professional critics who are are telling you that it's like one, two, or three stars um but a lot of it is. It's not just good food. You also want to have a nice ambiance. You want to have perfect service. I think these days, especially with social media, people get so fixated on one dish or the one thing I have to order or this dessert that looks really great and is going to get me all the likes on Instagram. Um, But really, there's so much more to it. And having someone who knows what wine to recommend or knows how to keep you waiting at the bar and you're happy and not pissed off. Like that's really the key to a good restaurant and like keeping the noise levels in check, making sure the seats are comfortable, like all of that goes into it. And I think that can often be overlooked.
0: Yeah. So it's not just about the food. Some places it's just about the ambiance and not even about Mm -hmm. the food. So it's really hard to find that balance sometimes. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Amanda, you've been in New York for almost all your career Mm -hmm. so I'd love to now pick your brain about how you've made it work financially like when you're especially when you were starting out and I know metro doesn't pay you know (laughs) a ton I worked at AM New York I know the drill Um, how did you afford your lifestyle when you first came to the city
1: Um, man, I, I guess I very quickly moved out of Manhattan after I graduated college. So that is the first trick is, uh, moving to Brooklyn. And I've actually lived there ever since because I kind of, you know, I I guess I fell in love with it. And also it's, it's just really much more affordable than Manhattan. Um, and I'm not really a person who's into luxuries outside of food. So, Um, and I guess outside of, of health, like I I do spend a lot of money on fitness, but I don't spend a lot of money on shoes or on fancy haircuts or purses or clothes or things like that. So I think it was, it was fairly easy for me to keep my spending in check so long as I was, um, keeping my food budget in check.
0: And you were smart to move to Brooklyn all those years ago. I moved there five years ago. And I don't know, these days you say, you know, more affordable than Manhattan. Not necessarily.
1: Not anymore. No. Yeah. And I was I was smart in that I, I bought in Brooklyn a long time oh ago. Oh, my gosh. And so now. Just drop your mic really- now. I mean. I know. On. It's like that's. <laughs> That's, how That's your I retirement podcast. <laughs> yeah yeah, that was um so smart for me, looking back on it because i I picked a neighborhood that was not very attractive and it's still i would say emerging, but um, the property values in Brooklyn have just escalated to such a degree that everybody who bought there in two thousand seven two thousand eight is 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 doing much better now mm-hmm for sure
0: okay, so you've I think that comes with a lot of people who move to new york early on and know that they want to buy and if you can you know it's a lot of timing you know if you can mm-hmm. even, even now even though it feels like even right now everything is so expensive if you can eye a certain location that isn't super saturated and over developed you might yep. in 10 years have a similar story where your place appreciates cuz it really appreciation here is we're in a bubble it's going to burst at some point i think it's when the tide rises <laughs> My husband is actually worried that we will like he's like, it's not going to be a recession or a nuclear war. Like it's going to be a tsunami or it's going to be just a massive flooding because like we're right on the coast. How can we not? It's It's a matter of time. Yeah, um, absolutely. Anyway, uh, moving on to more happier things. <laughs> Tell us about your financial philosophy. So now taking taking all of this in, all your experiences with money and the city and building your career, what would you say is your overarching money mantra? I ask this of all guests.
1: Um, for me, it's always about paying off debts. I think this has been something I've... I've been obsessed with ever since I got my first credit card. And I think my parents told me that, you know, credit card companies are evil and you don't want to fall into debt with them because they'll raise the interest on you. So I always pay off my credit cards. Um, and I think that is the same with any loan I'm taking out. Um, try to pay off the debt as soon as you can. And I don't know if, I think some savvier person might have a different opinion on that, but that's definitely how I how I do things.
0: Yes. And I'm sure your credit score thanks you for it. Yes. (laughs) Where did you get this savviness? Is it something that you feel was a conscious education growing up or you, what, like tell us a little bit about your upbringing and how money factored into all of
1: it. Yeah. um, My parents, they always had money, but were relatively frugal. Um, So they always wanted to spend money more on experiences than on things. And I think that I definitely inherited that. Like my mother, my mother grew up very poor. So by the time when she was, uh, had her own family and she had, you know, a, a more money than she grew up with, she was still, pretty, um, I guess pretty frugal, but when we took vacations, all bets were off. So she was totally fine spending money on vacations, like going out to eat, having drinks, like spending on a nice hotel. Um, but then when you're back home, she's penny pitching again. Um, she's using coupons at the grocery store and it's because she, that's what she decided was valuable to her. And I think I've definitely have some of that. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Do you, um, recall like having conversations about money as a kid, like is a throwback to your first beginning to learn about money.
1: Um, I think it's just, yeah, going back to my, the way my mother would spend money. They never really talked about money and maybe Mm -hmm. it's because it's a like a New England thing. It was never really discussed, but um, definitely she would always, if we're just going out to eat on a weeknight for some reason, which happened very rarely, she would get maybe an appetizer as her main course. Um, and if there's a free dessert that comes with a certain meal, like that's the meal she's going to get. And yeah, she used coupons all the time. So like that, I I always remember. But they definitely didn't discuss money outright with me um, very often.
0: They don't usually have to. I, I completely yeah. see how that could still send lots of positive messages. I mean, just your experiences, how you act, how you talk to others is uh, very influential. So would would you say that buying your home in Brooklyn was your so money moment? We have, we all have a so money moment, maybe more than one. (laughs) What would you say was a moment in time when you felt like, feel like all this financial stars aligned for you?
1: Um, That I, in retrospect, I could say that at the time, I think it was one of the most stressful periods of my life because anyone who's bought property knows it's just so much money that you're committing to something for so long and you are now in charge of it. So if something goes wrong, this is your problem. Um, I think... Also, I think getting raises at work is usually my more obvious so many moments, like in the moment when you get a raise and you're like, oh, my God, this is great. I'm doing good work and I'm making more money and I can, you know, everything's going to be a little easier for me now. Um, So I I would say those two things.
0: So do you have a specific story to share about when you advocated for yourself at work and got a raise?
1: Um, I, I've definitely, every time I've gotten a raise, it's because I've had to ask for it. Uh, and now my company was acquired by a larger media company a few years ago. And, um, I, I think it, it took, it was a little harder for me to get up the nerve to ask for a raise from our CEO because I didn't know him and I'd been working for my current boss for so long. Um, so just, telling myself like, okay, it's the same situation. You just lay out what you've done right and what you plan to do over the next year. And don't be afraid to talk numbers, I think. And maybe this is just a cliche, but I think women are often afraid to talk numbers um, and just go for it. And I've done that. And I, I think it's always, it's always a moment where you have to, or I have to build myself up for it. Like, you know, get, get ready, get prepared, psych yourself up and be ready. And when they, if they do ask for a number, like throw out something that a man would throw out, like be, be overly aggressive about it because the worst that's going to happen is they're going to say no. Uh, and then you move on. Especially when
0: you're asking a new boss, I'm sure that is especially intimidating or um, uh, maybe it feels a little uncomfortable because when you have that new boss, I, I don't, maybe you didn't do this in the first meeting, but you know, you're just trying to get to know each other
1: and you could feel like this is a lot to, to propose, but yeah, and if you've been working for someone else for so long, you just know how that other person operates and they know you and what you've done and to have to prove that to a new person is, is can be a challenge.
0: And they all probably just want to, they got, the, their job is to conserve costs. <laughs> exactly, exactly. They don't want to be giving out raises left and right, but uh, that's a really great story that you shared. Cause I think that's, That'll dispel some myths that people have about approaching new managers. Um, yeah. And people, I, mean,
1: I, I oversee about 45 people and they are always asking for raises. And it's it's interesting to me to see who, who does ask, who doesn't ask, how they do it. Um, and I think it gives me an advantage in when I'm going in to ask. Um, for a raise. I, I had that experience of being on the other side.
0: So that's interesting as someone who's on the receiving end of the ask, what's, what's one way that someone could ask for a raise to you that you almost feel like there's no way I can't give this person a raise. Has that, you know, that there's a non-negotiable because they've just laid out their facts so well.
1: Yeah. I think a lot of it is laying out the facts. Um, and keeping it as professional as possible. Sometimes people will bring in outside circumstances like my housing costs or my childcare costs. And, and I don't like that because I feel like it's, it's playing to my emotions. And I think they should be talking about what they've done at work and how they've helped the team and how they've helped the company, um, and their value. And so that always, always works with me. That's
0: a good point, because that's something that you might feel you would bring up because the other person might empathize with you, like, oh, I'm going through the same thing. But that's a really astute point that you don't want to make it about the emotions of the matter, but
1: really just the,
0: the value that you're bringing to the company.
1: Right. Absolutely. Good point.
0: Um, okay. Amanda, what is your biggest money failure (laughs) switching gears now? (laughs) I
1: I don't know if I have a a huge failure, but I think a mistake I've made, it actually relates back to the, the first question about financial philosophy. Um, I, with my mortgage, because I had a low interest rate, um, I recently realized that paying it off as quickly as possible, isn't as smart as necessarily paying it off slowly and putting my money elsewhere. So I think where I've maybe not done the, the best thing with my money is not, I haven't invested in the right places. I haven't taken the money that I could be saving by not paying off my mortgage quickly and putting it into a savings account that might have a high interest rate or some sort of investment.
0: Right. And going back to the emotions of it all, I think people emotionally want to get rid of debt, regardless of what kind of interest rate it's carrying. It's just, you know, it's it's a toll. But yeah, mathematically speaking, it's sometimes wiser to put your money in investments or just saving um, because... If you're, if you've got the low interest rate, don't worry about it.
1: <laughs> right, right. Exactly. And I think it, it's hard for me to, to do that, even though logically I understand why one would do it. It's, it's, I think that's where I need to improve as a, as a financial thinker.
0: Going back to the food industry. I just, I'm curious because I, I think when you probably started at Eater, there, the social media, uh, world had not evolved so much. I mean, was Instagram even around when you, when you were here? I mean, because I really see that platform and perhaps maybe Snapchat to an extent, or, you know, sometimes Facebook, the visually driven platforms really being, um, a competitor to a lot of media, like food blogs and lifestyle blogs. How are you, how, how is that impacting business?
1: Well, it's it still helps us because we have our own Instagram account and um it helps us engage with our audience and definitely our visuals have gotten a lot better over the years because of this and we are showing a lot more food photos than we have in the past because of this. But I think I think it's also great because it helps Us connect with restaurateurs, so maybe instead of hiring a PR person that's sending out all these press releases, a restaurant can just put up photos of their food and display what they're doing that way. So, as reporters, it's actually just another tool for us and another source for us to use.
0: What's a great way to save on eating out, (laughs) other than becoming a food blogger or a food writer and getting invited to all the events? I mean, really, that I find over and over to be one of the biggest expense areas that we have even if we're not intentional foodies you know we just Mm -hmm. it just is what it is Uh, you want to live a healthy lifestyle and go to whole foods that's gonna it's gonna come at a premium so what do you find are some of the maybe lesser known ways to cut costs when it comes to your your dining out and even your grocery bill
1: with with dining out i don't know if there's um a secret that no one's heard of before. Like I, I still, you still find good deals though, if you spend the time to do the research. So your favorite restaurant might have a great happy hour or they might have the dish that you really like at dinner, at lunch for a much lower cost. So if you can get away from work and go dine during the day, I think it's, it's a much more affordable way to enjoy some of the best restaurants. Um, also if you spend a lot of money drinking, like, asking the sommelier for advice, like what's a good value wine within this price range uh, versus just guessing or going by the glass if you have, you know, a big enough group. That's a great way to put it. What's a good value wine at this price range as opposed mm-hmm. to um, I'm on a budget. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> or like,
1: uh, What's thing- your cheapest wine? <laughs> Especially in, in good restaurants where there is a sommelier who wrote the list, like they like the bottles on the list and they chose them for a reason. So uh, if you ask them for their recommendation, they're going to be able to help you out.
0: Yeah. You guess you can't go wrong. By the way, have you seen the documentary Psalm? I'm sure you have. Yeah. 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 It's crazy. Right. And I yeah. who ended up passing that exam was not who I thought. <laughs> I know. I know. It's. Really I just, guess that's the twist. Yeah. Um, all right. Amanda, your financial habit, what's something that you do habitually that helps to keep you financially sane.
1: Um, I I don't have a good trick here. I just check my accounts all the time because there's I feel like every once in a while there's something that's there that shouldn't be there. Um, not necessarily fraud, but a mistake of some sort that I can call the bank to tell them about. Or recently, I realized I'd signed up for some um, Wi-Fi on Delta that was a recurring charge, oh, and I thought it was yeah. a one-time charge. And if you're not checking your account and your credit card receipts, uh, then you're gonna miss that because it just all looks the same.
0: Yes, and you have to be careful these days because we buy so much with our phones. I do at least mm-hmm. through the mobile apps, and some mobile apps are better than others. And for example, my gym when I'm buying class passes. Uh, it's a little slow to like accept your, um, purchase. So I think it's, so I keep pressing buy. (laughs) And meanwhile, I've just bought the same class pass like three times. Oh my God. It's my credit card bill three times. And of course, they're not going to call me and say, Hey, you uh, made a mistake. I have to find it, call them, you know, so it's, it pays to be just pays to look and check. So that's a great tip. All right. Last but not least, Amanda, let's do some so many fill in the blanks. So you just finish, okay. finish the sentence. If I won the lottery tomorrow, the first thing I would do is
1: I would buy a bigger apartment. Yeah. Are because you... I, I, I own my place, but I've been there for 10 years and I now have a baby and we'll eventually have another one. So I think, um, uh, that's definitely the upgrade that I need to make. Are you in that
0: pocket of homeowners in Brooklyn and and largely New York where you, even though you've owned for a while and your home's appreciated, it's like, even if I sell it, the the market has appreciated so
1: much that can you actually, are you priced out or yeah, Yeah. where do you go? (laughs) Exactly. That's the problem because, you know, you might make a profit, but there's, you know, there's nowhere else around you that you can afford. Right. Um, Just ask for another raise, I
0: guess yeah exactly <laughs> One thing I spend on that makes my life easier or better or both is uh my nanny mm-hmm. <laughs> i use I use that one yes that is you can you can yeah that's been used before <laughs> and it will be used again on the show that and I think like housekeeper um yeah anyone that's like significantly helping you. Get your work done, keep you sane, keep your house clean, keep you know your family safe. That's that's priceless.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like I think that is um, an expense in my life that I don't think twice about, and that is completely worth it to me. Is having someone who takes care of my son, and and she comes to my house every day, and I think being able to afford that is makes me really happy.
0: How about a splurge? I mean, food is obviously something that you and experiences. You've talked about that being something that you um, would much rather spend your money on. But is there a specific splurge that you
1: have that is just like part of your expense routine? Um, Beyond food, I think it is uh, fitness. I do private Pilates and um, I would not give that up, even though it's stupidly expensive.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But you know what? If you have the money and it's and it's helping you like that's, you, got, you know what? Yeah, exactly. Money it should it be enjoyed. Forward. Yep. Uh, one thing I wish I had learned about money growing up is?
1: I think how complex it can be for different people. So you might grow up assuming that everyone feels the same way about money. And then you have friends or family members or spouses uh, who feel completely different. So I think that's something that you learn as you get older.
0: When I donate, I like to give to blank because
1: Uh, I give to, uh, which, uh, fights for abortion rights. I give to WNYC because I like independent media. Um, I give to hot bread kitchen, which is a great charity in New York where they, um, give job opportunities to immigrant women and I give the to the New York Times Neediest Cases Fund because they, I think, distribute their money really well, and it makes me not have to think about it so much.
0: That's a great list.
1: Thank you. That's a I really love
0: com- I love the list. It's a comprehensive, really, really great list. And I have a feeling that in the new in this year, um, we our lists are getting longer. <laughs> we're yes. we're going to be donating. yeah, like, yeah post election, I'm just like I'm just giving money left and right. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Uh, it's, it's just, you feel like it's all, it's the least we can do right now. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And I'm last but not least, I'm Amanda Clute. I'm so money because.
1: Because I think I have the right balance between frugal and indulgent. So I I don't spend a lot on non necessities, but I have no problem, problem going overboard when it's important. (laughs) Thank you
0: for your advice, especially about the career advice, the raise advice. Oh, I mean, That was really valuable. I really appreciate that. And um, everybody check out Eater.com. It's a wonderful, wonderful site. Thank you. Thanks so much to Amanda for stopping by. Eater.com is the website. If you'd like to follow Amanda on Twitter, you can join her at K-L-U-D-T, clute. And if you missed any of this, of course, head over to SoMoneyPodcast.com. We've got the transcript. You can leave a message. And if you have a burning money question, just send it over. Click on Ask Farnoosh or leave a voicemail. And we will include it in a forthcoming Friday Ask Farnoosh episode. Look forward to hearing from you. Thanks so much for tuning in. And I hope your day is so money.